Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We looked last week at verse 1 of chapter 2. Peter says, but false prophets also arose among the people. That sounds like he is building on something he's already said, and, and he is. He has told us about the prophets of old and how that they brought the Word of God and how God moved them with His Spirit, and they preached what God put on their hearts. But he said, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Destructive heresies. I cannot emphasize that enough. Sometimes we treat heresy as if it is innocent. We treat it as if it is something that we can toy with. It's okay, you have your ideas, I have mine. What does that verse mean to you? It might mean something else to somebody else. None of that matters. What matters is what did God mean when He inspired that. And that's what we have to deal with. So these heresies are destructive. Remember that. I'm, I'm amazed sometimes at how we treat things. I, I, I know... Some people have pet snakes. I, I don't understand that. But let, let me just tell you now, nobody has a pet snake. They may name it. Uh, they may feed it. But I can promise you this, uh, he's not a pet. And you mess with him long enough and he'll bite you. Heresies are not some innocent idea. We have to be on the lookout for them. They're destructive. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, these false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. When we follow lies and don't live the truth and preach the truth, we blaspheme the very way of truth that God has given us. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Plastos is the word there. We get a word plastic from it. I think we talked about last week that when you have something that's plastic, the, the idea with plastic, what makes it so advantageous is it's cheap and it's bendable, it's moldable, you can twist it however you want to. So if you got a different idea about marriage than what the Word of God says, you probably got a plastic one. You can just bend it and twist it however you want to. If you got different ideas about sexuality... Uh, boy, and man alive, is that ever popular nowadays. When you get away from what God has said, I can tell you, you are into the plastic department. And you can just twist it and fold it and mold it however you like, turn it into whatever shape you want to. We call it deconstructionism, where you read a truth in the Word of God, but then you kind of break it apart and make it personal to you, and it just kind of means whatever you want it to mean. Verse 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, 
and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Notice that he said even the angels didn't escape. When they rose up against God, God took care of that. And there's an interesting word here. I don't think we talked about it last week. When he says, cast them into hell, the word that occurs here and only here in the New Testament is Tartarus. The verb form is Tartarao, and it is cast them into hell is all that one word. And and let me just tell you this quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but we know that we have heaven and we have hell. But if you go through Scripture, you come across some other terms as well. For example, in the Old Testament, they had what was called Sheol. And Sheol is a word for the abode of the dead. Unfortunately, some older English translations translate that word as hell. So when you read Psalm 139 verse 8 where David says, If I uh, make my bed in hell, God is there. It's not the word hell. It's the word for the abode of the dead. They believed in the Old Testament that Sheol or Sheol was under the earth and the heavens, Shamaim, were above the earth. So there were the two places that they looked to that was outside of this world. So you have that word. But then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus begins to teach us some other things as well. In the New Testament, the abode of the dead is a word called Hades. And when Jesus talks about Hades 11 times, he says there is a part of Hades that he called Gehenna. Now they would have understood Gehenna because they had what was called the Valley of Hinnon. And the Valley of Hinnon was a place where outside of the Jerusalem where they burned garbage, they would drag dead carcasses of animals, even people that couldn't uh, didn't have family to bury them. They may even drag them out there. And it was said that the fire burned on and on and on. And 11 times in Jesus' teachings, he says, in the abode of the dead, for those who die without Christ, for those who are wicked, they go to a place that is called Gehenna. And he knew that they could understand what that meant. It was the Valley of Hinnon in the Old Testament, and it was a horrible place. In the Old Testament, uh, they, this was the place where they would offer their children as a sacrifice to the god Molech. And they'd put their children in Molech's arms, and he was a hollowed-out uh, god that they'd build a fire in, and the fire would belch through the holes in his chest and consume the child alive. And it even says that Ahab, one of the kings of the tribes in the north, had his own sons pass through the fire. And when God's people began to take part in that hellish hellish ritual, boy, it really upset God. And, and, And so when Josiah in the 7th century finally became king, he put an end to all of that. He went out and desecrated the place, and that was to be no more. But Christ said there is a place in the realm of the dead where those who die without Christ go. And it is a place of punishment. It is a place of torment. So 
when he says the word Tartarus here, I guess you would say that it's sort of like when we try to say that, hey, you know, there's a special place in hell for this, that, or the other. Well, this was a special place in hell. It later became known, Tartarus, as the lowest point in all of hell, the worst place in hell that you could possibly be. So just remember that. And, and verse 5, he goes on to say, For if he did not spare the ancient world, and he's already talked about the angels, he says, secondly, if he didn't spare the ancient world, but he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world, of the ungodly. So now he has moved to the ancient world and he's talked about Noah. And we shared some about Noah with you last week. Then to verse 6. If by turning the cities, now he's moved on up some more. We're in Genesis somewhere around chapter 13 now. But if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 13, 13 says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And when he says that he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, katastrophe is the word in the Greek, and you hear our word in there, he made them a catastrophe. He turned them into ashes. And I want to just say this, a lot of times the more liberal side of Christianity will look back on Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know why. They want to minimize the wickedness of Sodom and sodomy itself. So they'll tell you things like, well, you know, in the book of Ezekiel, it says that they were inhospitable. Well, that was just one of their problems. But if you're looking for a way to maybe put some lipstick on this pig, you could say, hey, that was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were just inhospitable. But boy, there's so many other verses in the Bible that you cannot ignore. And I want to read one now. Jude has one chapter, verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. They serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Unnatural desire. I'm, I'm going to try to keep it PG here if I can. But sometimes I just want to look at people and go, we all know, don't we? Because when people try to act like That what goes on in our world today and what went on in Sodom and Gomorrah, when they try to act like that that's normal, I got news for you. There is no way in the world to imagine that being normal. Loretta and I were watching something on television the other night and a commercial came on and it was about a drug that you can take if you have HIV 
and it helps to minimize the effects or whatever. And I can tell you right now, the commercial was filled with men who either were gay or they sure looked like it. They would walk around holding hands and all during the commercial and there were so many different shots of this going on. And finally, at the end, two of them kissed. I'm going to tell you something. You can say all you want to. That two men having sex together is some kind of way normal. I got news for you. I was born at night, but not last night. There's no way it's normal. It's an unnatural desire. And I will tell you, if we are not judged by God in America for what we have tolerated and embraced, then God is going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah a big apology one of these days. It is amazing to me. Verse 7 said, And if he rescued righteous Lot, we're going to have to work on that one a little, righteous Lot greatly distressed by the sexual conduct of the wicked. I want to go ahead and read verse 8, and then we'll talk about them. For as the righteous man, again, lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, I've been asked more than one time, how in the world could Lot ever be considered righteous? took me a long time to come up with the right answer, but I finally did. The right answer is how in the world could I be considered righteous? And I understand Lot was a colorful character, but obviously, and here is dead proof of it, our righteousness is not dependent upon us. And I don't think that that legitimizes a lot of decisions that Lot made, but I want to tell you, it says he was a righteous man, but here's the point. He's trying to live in two places at once, and when you try to walk with God, but you live where God doesn't walk, I got news for you, that's a tough place to try to live, my friend. When you you think about Lot, maybe this is why people might would question that. It says he sat at the gate of, of Sodom. That means he was a Zakain or, or, or an elder in that day, most likely. In Sodom, he had done well there. He was, uh, uh, in that day, if you had to go to court, you went to the gate of the city and, and you would talk to the elders of the city about whatever came up, whatever he had to do. This was how Boaz was able to accomplish the marriage with Ruth. He went to the gate of the city. It says that Lot sat at the gate of the city. And then when the two angels came, who looked like men, who appeared in the form of men, when they came into Lot's house, these sodomites tried to get these guys and pull them out into the street because they wanted to have sex with them. Now, here's the problem. Poor old Lot is thinking, man, my two worlds have come together. These guys are angels. These idiots out here don't even know it. And so Lot is just trying to get everything to kind of simmer down. And you know what he does? He says, I have two daughters who've never slept with anyone. Why don't you take them and have your way? 
with them. My goodness. And then when he finally did leave, it says they had to just drag him out of the place practically. They had to pull him out because he didn't want to leave. And then after he got out of Sodom, you remember God killed his wife, and we'll talk about that in a second, but his daughters got him drunk because they knew that they wouldn't have a seed in the family to go on. So they got him drunk and they slept with their own daddy. And one of them had a boy named Moab and the other one had a boy named Ammon. And the Ammonites and the Moabites were enemies of God's people for decades to come. So Lot's had a, quite a colorful life. But he was tormenting his soul. You see, I, I want to tell you, when you try to live for God and yet you still got that thing you do on Saturday night. I, I tell you what, you, you wind up being completely miserable because you, you don't feel right being in the nightclub, but you don't feel right being in church either. It, it is like you're just hung in the middle. And, and so that's how you torment your soul when you claim to live for the Lord, but you know there are things in your life that should not be there and you got things going on that, that shouldn't go on and I am amazed nowadays at people who attend church often, how they can have a whole nother life somewhere else that does not glorify God, and they know it. They're trying to live in Sodom and serve God at the same time. And I want to tell you, that's a great way to torment yourself 24-7. Tormented his soul. Do You realize when Lot got ready to leave Sodom, he went to Two young men who were to marry his daughters. They were the, his sons-in-laws to be. And he begged them to leave with him. He says, God is about to set this place on fire. And they laughed in his face because it says they thought he was joking. That's when you know you've ruined your testimony. When you've hung out with the hellions so long, and then you try to tell them something about God, and they laugh in your face. They're like, man, last night you weren't talking about God. You were dancing on the tables. Last night, boy, I, you said God, but, but in a different way. And now, what are you, you, come, what are you preaching now? Hey, I'll come over here. Lot's preaching to us now. And, and, and you, you just ruin your testimony, and no one, even his own family did not want to listen to him there's a verse in the new testament luke 17:32 that says remember lot's wife and that's all that's in the verse just remember lot's wife what's going on around that verse well jesus is talking about the end times and he's talking about people who squander away an opportunity to be delivered. And instead of choosing to be delivered, they squander that away. They decide, I have more time or, or not today or I'll get right with God some other time or, or, or whatever. And he says, when, when the Son of Man comes, there's not going to be time for any of that. Then he says, remember Lot's wife. And if you remember what happened to her, God told Lot and his wife, do not look back. 
Now, was it that God didn't want Lot to just see the place on fire? No, God didn't want Lot and his wife looking back with that longing for, oh man, alive. There goes that built. Honey, you remember that? That's where we we got thrown out. The cop, they call the cops on us. It, it, it just went down. And man, I'm gonna miss. Man, I'm gonna miss those parties. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss those nights in Sodom. God told him, says, "Do not look back." He said, "If you look back on your way out, I will leave you here." Lot's wife just couldn't help herself. She turned around for one final glance, and God left her right where she was. Turned her into a pillar of salt. Man, I want to tell you, as bad as Lot might have been, though, at least he was tormented by what he saw. I know people that are sitting in churches this morning that they see the same things that Lot saw, and they are hardly bothered at all. As a matter of fact, some of them, it makes them feel so good about themselves, I got gay friends or I've got people that are doing this, that, or the other. And, 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 and because they feel so good, because they accept them and, 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 and they love them and embrace their sin as well as the person. And man, I want to tell you, if you really do love them, why don't you tell them the truth? Because the Word of God says that love does not rejoice in wickedness, but it rejoices in truth. But nowadays, man, there are a lot of people that they just are so accepting, and it's like they get a high out of it. They feel so good that they're broad-minded and, 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 and not like old preacher Mike, you know. They, they, they act like, I hate those people. I don't hate anybody, my friend. And I wish they would come and hear the Word of God and God would touch their hearts. But I'm just saying to you, there are folks that they, Lot's way ahead of them because at least he was tormented by the things that he saw. Nowadays, it's like a great achievement for Christians to not condemn anything. To embrace whatever comes. My goodness, God help us. It says then, verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. He says, I know the world's bad. Peter is trying to get us ready, friend, for the days we're facing right now. He's going to tell us later that the Lord hasn't come back as quickly as we thought He would. So some of you are going to be around after I'm gone. He says, God's already told me that I'm going to be getting out of here before long. I'm going to die. But he says, for the rest of you, make sure of your calling and be careful about teachers like this. Because that's what they are. They are they're, they're immoral and they're teachers. And you think about this. When you're a teacher, you're trying to sell somebody on an idea. And, 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 and I know he's talked more about their behavior than their teachings. He just says their heresies are destructive. But that's what we have going on in our world today. It's not just enough that you can be a marginalized sort of thinker. No, they want to come to our schools and they want to sit down with our young children. And, and I can tell you that's not by accident because you just think about it. 
If I had a drag queen come up to me, I mean, some dude that's, you know, about my size wearing a dress and a lot of lipstick or some lingerie, there's you a visual. But I can, I can just tell you that I am not about to look at any of that and go, man, you know, I think that's pretty cool. I might, I might buy me a, a little lingerie sometime. I wonder if they have it in my size. If they had it in his, they'll have it in mine. They're never going to win me, and they're never going to come to me, and they're not going to come to you. They're coming to our children, friend. They're coming to our children, and I, I, I hope and pray it never happens in Rutherford County, but it is already happening all over the United States. And as a matter of fact, sometimes in churches, one church I told you about in Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina, they had dragged them to church Sunday. And they had drag queens come in and do a show for their children's department. That's incredible. So I'm telling you, Peter is warning us, you better be ready. These people aren't just false teachers. They're not just heretics. they got a bigger agenda than that. And they want to defile you. They want to make a, a, a mockery out of God. They've got a way bigger agenda than just leading people astray. Verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. You see, God is trying, Peter is trying to tell us that God can take care of you. God can take care of you. Man, as crazy as this world has gotten, it is so violent. There is so much going on in our world that just absolutely blows my mind. So much stuff being taught, so many people that claim to know God even, that are preaching all kinds of garbage, and, and, and we've embraced this immorality and all of that. It is just incredible to me. But I realize something, that our hope has to be in God. I don't care who we put in the White House. Man, boy, that's hard for me to say. But you just look at our leadership right now. It's, 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 it's a mess. And I think we should vote. And I think we should stand up for what is right. But you and I as born again children of God, we never need to imagine for one second that if we had the right president that he could save this nation. There is no way. The only hope that we have is God Almighty. That is the only hope that we have. And, and we have that hope. We have it. Peter is telling us here, God can preserve the godly right in the midst of all that's going on around them. Verse 10, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. And, and read, just look, read with me and see if this is not a great description of what we see nowadays, and despise authority. Despise authority. I, I, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Don't call me a boy. I might want to be a girl. 
And, and now we have this thing. We had transgender for a long time. We now have a thing called transspecies. That's where if you decide you want to be an elephant. Really? You're not, you, you thought you were limited to being a, some kind of whacked out weirdo human? Oh, no. Matter of fact, I read an article this weekend preparing for this message about a young man that showed a picture of a nice-looking guy, and then he took his face, and I mean, he had so many different things in his ears and his nose. I mean, he had metal all over his face. He looked like a fishing lure from the neck up, and he had tattoos all over him, and he said, I do not want to even resemble a human being because I hate human beings. And I thought, buddy, you did a good job. i got to give you that. If you wanted to look like some kind of weirdo monster, congratulations. Transspecies. We have them in our schools in Rutherford County. You know that, don't you? Oh, yeah. They're called Furbies. What? Furries. Furries. Yeah, they go around and they make cat sounds. I- if I were going to be an animal, I'd be a dog if I'd want to be a cat. I'd pick something that had more sense than a blooming cat. Furries. But here's what he says. Don't hate me for it. He says they despise authority. I might not want to be the gender that people think I am. I, I, I've watched some of the hearings that we have in Congress right now, and they have people in front of them under oath, and they ask them questions like, can a man have a baby? And they won't answer it. Or either they say yes. It's incredible where we have gotten to in our world. He says they are also bold and willful. Man. They're in a war, my friend, with reality. And they can pretend to be whatever they want to be. And they can say whatever they want to say. But I can just tell you, they are fighting reality itself. But it's just a sign of exactly what Peter was writing to us 2,000 years ago. They come in and they want to teach our children. They, they want to sway people's opinion. And they're doing a, a, a good job with that with a lot of people. They're very arrogant, despising authority. They're very bold and they're very willful. They're something else to have to deal with. He says in verse 11, he says, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, they do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. He says even the angels in heaven have more respect for others than this crowd does. They will blaspheme saints. They will talk about men of God like they're trash. They will run Christianity in the ground. He says they say things as human beings that even the angels before the throne of God will not utter. It is amazing. Verse 12, but these like irrational animals. 
creatures of instinct. Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Some of these people can talk theology like an out-of-town preacher. They can tell you what's wrong with the Bible, and they've never even read the thing. Really. They can tell you what's wrong with church, and they're not even a part of one. They can tell you that what I'm saying up here today is wrong, but I got news for you. What I'm saying up here today doesn't have diddly to do with what Mike Snellgrove thinks. I am preaching the Word of God. So take it up with him. But he says, no. He says they're like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Do you realize in the animal kingdom, the animals that are the most intelligent have the least amount of instinct. Animals with a lot of instinct are not usually trained for the circus, okay? You never see them bring out the rattlesnakes, right? And have them throw a ball around or something. I've never seen raccoons in the circus. Elephants have a lot of sense, and I know they can survive in the wild, but I got news for you. They never bring crocodiles to the circus. They act off of pure instinct. They don't even have feelings. Crocodiles don't get mad. They don't get happy. They get wildebeest. And they'll get you. And it won't be because they don't like you. I hear people talk about don't make that animal mad. Animals don't get mad. Animals get scared. Animals act instinctively to protect themselves. I got a crazy old blue dog that, man, he will protect me. Uh, it, 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 it's incredible, but my old blue dog's got a pretty good little bit of sense. Uh, he, he's not, he wouldn't last long in the wilderness by himself I'm afraid but he uh, Peter is telling us here that these folks that, that what you're seeing them do the reason they act the way that they do they are creatures of instinct they just move by they're moved by whatever they feel at the moment they're unreasoning it's really amazing Verse 13 says they are suffering wrong at the wage, as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Oh, remember some of these things used to happen in the dark. He says it'll get to where, no, they want to do it in the daytime. <laughs> they want to be on the view when they say it. They want to be out where everybody can see them and see what they're doing. And they revel in that. They show out when they have an audience. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. And he says, sometimes while they feast with you, he says, sometimes they can be in your midst. And you might not even know it. Man. Says they suffer wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. 
You look at people today that have decided I'm going to live the way I want to and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Go to San Francisco and the streets and sidewalks are filled with them. Some of them decided years ago, if I want to snort cocaine, I will. So they give her a whirl. And they spent every dime they had in the years of their life and cost them their families and everything they own trying to get that high again. But you see these people on our streets, they are suffering. They have chosen a lifestyle. And yes, I have compassion for them. I would love to see them be born again. Come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because they're wrecking their lives. Man, some of you have been there. You have seen loved ones, people you care so much about, and you would have done anything in the world if you could have saved them, but you couldn't do it, could you? They'd already decided, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't like authority. I'm going to do what I want to do, go where I want to go, and be who I want to be. And what they do in the end is they wind up wrecking and ruining their life. I know I've told you this till you're tired of hearing it, but my brother's a great example. He joined the Navy because he's tired of people telling him what to do. There's a lot of people that the freedom they sought so hard has become a shackle. And it's driven them in the dirt and ruined their life. And some of them have now lost everything. Everything. I'm going to close here today. I, I don't know. Maybe God spoke to your heart today. Maybe you're living in some measure of misery right now because you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not I'm not like they were in Sodom, Pastor, but I got two lives and I, I juggle them fast as I can. But the longer I try to be two people, that, that duplicity, that, that being one person somewhere else and another person here, when those two worlds come together and meet, when the angels show up and the friends are beating the door down outside, I can tell you that. That's an embarrassing time. That's a difficult time. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I'm a tortured soul. I, I know people. I got friends of mine right now. I talk to them all the time and I beg them, why don't you quit going to places like this? Why are you dating people like this? Why do you keep making decisions like you are making? Why is it it's like you are determined to shoot yourself in the foot every chance you get? They are tormenting their own souls. Man, maybe today you'd just like to say, God, I'm tired of this. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want my life to be transformed. I want my life to be changed. Maybe you're here today and God's convicted you about 
some of the things that go on in our world that maybe, you know, over time we kind of grow to accept certain things. Do you know there was a time in our world, and this is just crazy sounding to me, but there was a time I understand where on television you couldn't say the word virgin. That was considered too provocative. I remember I used to do a little rock and roll seminar. It was so silly when I look back on it now, I get embarrassed just thinking about it. But there was a time, I'm old, okay, that there were certain records, it's called backward masking. And if you played them backwards, they were saying ugly words. Boy, that didn't last long. They just started saying them forward. My goodness. It's amazing where our world's gotten to. Sometimes we need to be shook a little bit. We need to be told that you're not petting a puppy. You're dealing with a rattlesnake, friend. Stop trying to minimize the danger. Quit being proud of yourself for being so open-minded. Quit feeling good because you have some emotional need inside of you that, that you have to feel like, boy, I, I, I need some acceptance. And, and so I, I, I put up with things and tolerate things and, and, and embrace people instead of telling them the truth. I need them to like me so badly. I just embrace the lifestyle they've chosen even though I know it's destroying their life. We need a wake-up call. We need a wake-up call. Let's pray together. God, I come to you right now and I ask you, Lord. I ask you, Father, to please help us. God, I pray that you would preserve us, Lord. You would help keep us, Lord, safe and and help us, Lord, to, to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, God, in this world in which we live. I pray that we could be a light in the darkness, God, and I pray that you'd help us to know, Lord, that if we compromise and we have no light, our, our testimony is worthless, God. I pray, Father, you would help us. Lord, we have so many issues right now in our world that it's hard to know how to approach them. We want people to know we love them. We want people to know, God, that we have an answer for them, God. But sometimes it's so hard, it's so difficult to even to know where to start. So I ask you, Lord, for guidance in that. And help us as a church, Lord, to be a shining light in this dark world. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.